0: Well, good morning everyone. Good morning. Good morning and grace and peace. Welcome. Uh good to see you on this uh Tuesday after Easter. Uh, as you can see, Pastor Kurt is not with us. Uh, maybe you uh, will remember that he was scheduled for surgery this morning, and so he is uh, uh, down south uh, in Houston, and uh, that surgery is sometime this morning. So, thought we would all like strike our prayer pose, and we'll take a picture, and we'll send it to him. All right, everybody, get ready. Strike your pose. Very good. All right, I'll send that to him, and and we will definitely be praying for him uh, this morning uh, for sure. Do what? Ed said we weren't in that picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got cut off. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not a very good selfie taker, Ed. I can't get the whole group in. Well... Good deal. Well, we're going to be going through some uh, good stuff. Uh, remember, we are in this uh, tail end of Second uh, Samuel, and uh, really kind of hard to put our finger on why this material in in Second Samuel now. Uh but certainly there are there is a really long psalm that gets thrown in there, and then there is a shorter section of poetry that sort of mirror themselves. And we're still at, towards the uh, tail end of uh that that first psalm. So we're gonna be in 2 Samuel 22, 26, is where we're gonna begin. But before that, um to kind of notice some uh, crossover. Between this psalm and some of the other psalms that David, David wrote that are in the psalms, uh, I thought I'd go back to where we began. Uh, we, we do this periodically. Uh, go back to Psalm 131, which in, in some ways is David at his absolute best. And when we find ourselves in a centered place as it's Psalm 131 invites us to, those are the moments in our lives where we will be our best as well. So Psalm 131, let's pray together. Our hearts are not proud, Lord. Our eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But we have calmed and quieted ourselves. We are like weaned children with our mothers. Like weaned children, we are content. Put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. So remember, so we're in 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-six. 26 uh, He had just, uh, back in those other two verses, uh, remember a lot of what Pastor Kurt did such a good job last week explaining how in some ways uh, this psalm is very aspirational in that David looks at his life and he sees the mistakes and the choices that he is, has made or is making. And then in the psalm, He envisions this life of utter devotion to God, right? And so in verse 23, all of his laws are before me. I am not turned away from his decree. Is that the story of David that we have read? No, no. There have been plenty of times where he has kind of gone off the rails, uh, gone on his own way. But this is his hope. I had been blameless before him, and I kept myself from sin. Well, he's had his moments of doing that, especially early on, and I do think that David's story does tell us a lot about how we handle and deal with success. It's like when when you're when you're first starting your career, you're 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 you're, you're going at it, and you have hardly anything to lose, right? but you start becoming successful and then handling that success, you may compromise your life with God and your life with others for the sake of the wind. And David finds himself in that place a whole, whole lot. Right. All right. Verse 25. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness... According to my cleanness in his sight, and remember, the reason David can't build the temple, y'all remember, because there's blood on his hands. Um, and so, yeah, he. Uh, this is his hope uh, moving forward for his life, uh, for sure. Uh, I think that verse, the, the front end of that verse, bears a little discussion. Is that what God does? Does he reward us for our righteousness? Well, yes and no. Um, in that, do we really have anything to offer God that God can't provide for God's self? No, absolutely not. Um, it is our lack of righteousness that Jesus had to come and show us how we were truly made to live. And to die for us, so it is the the righteousness of Christ that makes all the difference and then compels us then can 't we can 't we can 't remember there 's two halves of the gospel There's there 's the half of the gospel that that makes us right with God that reestablishes good relationship with God, where we can boldly approach God and be transformed by his presence. And then there's the second half of the gospel is actually the process of transformation. And that is the righteousness that comes in in, in in connection with God and us cooperating with God to make the choices that are good, beautiful, and true. Right? You ever ponder this? Will there be free will in heaven? Because you always get this sense that when you go to heaven, it's all going to be perfect, right? That's kind of what how we're taught from 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 little kids on. Will we be able to make choices in heaven? I just don't see how that's going to change. I, how can all the all of a sudden God just snap his feet? One of the very one of the very the most important parts of being human is having the capacity to choose. That's a big difference between us and the animals, right? Like us being made in the image and likeness of God, we have the capacity to choose. So when we are in heaven, will we still? Yes. We will always have the opportunity to turn our back on God. And I guess the hope is, is that there's going to be a new clarity, that those choices are going to be much easier to stay centered in. That would be my hope. What do you all think? Any thoughts on that? Please, please, God, right? Please. All right. Any questions before we jump into twenty-six? My mentions of says clean hands. Yeah, that's that's probably a better translation as clean hands. Um. Yeah. God Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it looks like uh, other translations, it does say cleanness of hands. So there you go, guys. Way to go. All right. So again, when we talked about this last week, this becomes a challenge, right? Because it's almost like David is a little bit delusional. Right? Well, I don't think he's delusional. We do, we have seen that David ignores hard things at times, especially uh, in relationship with his sons, uh, in dealing with, in willing, in his willingness to do the hard things. He seems like he struggles with that. And so, in some ways, David is uh, delusional, but I think what he is doing here, he is really trying to be this is what I want for my life. God help me. Right? aspirational (laughs) to the faithful you show yourself faithful verse 26 to the blameless you show yourself blameless classic psalm here classic line in a psalm is uh, you say something uh, similarly in two different ways using repeated words, where we, our poetry is very rhythmic in nature, uh, at least the poetry that I can understand is rhythmic in nature, some of the other stuff that is not, I'm like what is this poet saying? Anybody read poetry and read it well anybody in the room? Maybe come hang out with you some, I really really struggle with it, it's hard alright it's almost like verse 26 and 27 it's almost like it's this reciprocity relationship with God that if I am this then God will be this for me and I think it's exactly uh, the opposite that it is when we notice and we recognize how is God faithful Any, any thoughts about ways in which God is faithful So he keeps his promises. So, so God is faithful in that he is trustworthy. Very good. And so if God is trustworthy, then whenever I have the choice to be trustworthy or not, right? Because there's going to be, there's going to be a a situation and circumstances in your life that will invite you to forsake who you really are. And so, hopefully, we're at this centered place, right, where whenever we we ponder, uh, we're pondering the circumstance and wanting to be true to who we are, but afraid that if we are, no, 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 that we we allow the faithfulness of God to stand in the gap. Oh, if God is faithful in this way, and He is faithful to me, then I can be freed. To make that faithful choice too. Because God always has my back. Right? And I think blameless is another way to say the same thing. as faithful. Um, you know, when you talk about God's character, uh, I try to remind you all the time that there's five big things that God says to be true about himself. Anybody remember them? You should that 's right, you should you should write it down five big things i mean it 's your hand it 's like when you 're driving, look at your hand and then just just rehearse this is who God is when and he says this about himself right after the Israelites forsook him with the golden calf it 's like hey i just I just brought you out of Egypt with these Incredible signs. And you said, I agree to this covenant. And then just literally days later, they forsake him. And they forsook him because they did not truly believe that he was compassionate. That's number one. And gracious or merciful. That word's translated either way. Compassionate and gracious. The middle one is uh, slow to anger. So that's kind of fun to remember that because people use their middle finger when they're angry. Am I right? I don't make this stuff up. (laughs) Right. And so, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithful. That is is who God said he reveals to be true about himself. And it is when we allow that truth of who God's character, what God's character is to sink into our souls that we then can be that for others as well. But that's the purpose of God revealing his character to us so that we can reflect it Add into the world. That is like our foundational purpose. You uh, are you familiar with the term icon? You may say, "Oh, that's something that the that the Roman Catholics or the Orthodox do." No, it's biblical. That we are literally—it's a Greek word. Icons were images. We're made in God's images. Uh, made in God's image, we are to reflect His character back into the world. And so when we recognize and embrace the blamelessness of God, we will then be blameless in the world. Yes, sir. Yes, I'll be happy to. And then I'll be also be happy to give you the scripture reference. Um, yep, that's it. So Exodus 34, 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh. When you read that there, it's Lord in all caps. So whenever he says, uses his personal name like this, this is what his personal name, the I am, this is who the I am is, Yahweh is. Um, Compassionate is number one, and gracious is number two. The middle finger. We got that one, right? I mean, it's good. It's it's helpful. Slow to anger. Abounding in love. And faithful. Did you, any of y'all read... Uh, the inflammatory article that was published in the New York Times on uh, Friday, this past Friday. Anybody read it? It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, Ken actually. Was it Ken that sent it? Uh, did you send it to to me? Do you read it? Yeah, uh, I think Paul Taggart sent it to me. Our worship leader for modern, for our modern worship service sent it to us, and it was uh, it was written in the spirit of the uh, 1966 Time Time Magazine cover article. Uh, you probably heard about this and just don't know it. Uh, the God Is Dead cover from 1966. It was that was written in the spirit of that. Uh, it's very fascinating. Uh, you should go read the article. I can't remember what the guy's name. It's. It will make you angry, but it also helps you to realize where certain parts of our culture are right now. And basically, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Ken, is that this Passover, it's God that needs to be passed over. <laughs> because uh, God's not doing His job, God's angry, uh, God's all, all of these these uh, accusations are levied towards God because basically at the end of the day in this guy's mind is that God is a figment of all of our imaginations and it's it's us in our dependence on God that 's the problem well this person actually doesn't know the God of the Bible right and who God says himself to be Who God says He actually is? Those five things. All right. So we got faithful, blameless, pure. I think all of those are similar ways uh, to say uh, the same thing. But David is is kind of wanting to lean into this, what he sees to be true about God and to desperately allow it to play itself out in his own life. And then he, got a, he, he throws in a negative, uh, but to the devious, and it's always important when you're reading Scripture, is to look for those, those uh, conjunctions. Those conjunctions help us make sense of the text. So the but... So this is this, this is true, this is true, this is true, but this is also true to the devious. what else do y'all have there besides devious? what was that Crooked, Crooked. Crooked. so dishonest perverted. perverted, very good, yeah. So I, I, I like crooked, you know, cause God's ways, scripture insists that the way of God, kind of going back to our river, that this, uh, this river is the way of the Lord, that that way is, is a straight way, right? And so literally when we choose a crooked way, we, we leave the path believing that the way around God's good, perfect and pleasing will God's character is going to be the life-giving thing and not staying on the path. All right? So, uh, yeah. And so shrewd, he shows himself shrewd. What else do you have there? At the end of verse 27. Astute. Okay. Okay. Anything else? Reverse? Fortuitous. Fortuitous. That's a weird word. That is very interesting. Says, those who are pure, you show yourself pure, but you destroy those who are evil. <laughs> there you go. You destroy those who are evil. Wow. Hostile. Okay. Yeah. And and that's what it. Fe- I, I like that. Uh, The hostile part, because just like the, just like the guy who wrote the article, obviously he has, he is not allowing his life, and he's Jewish, which is interesting. He, 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 he's like, what are you saying? Uh, and this is what happened to a lot of, a lot of Jewish people after the Holocaust. It's like, there's no way God can be real if he allowed this to happen to us. Right. So they take this horrendous, horrendous circumstance and they blame it on God. You walk outside of this way that God has, has laid, laid down for you. And what's God is going to give you over to that. Right. He's going to say, cause God is no, God's no bully. He's not going to reach out and grab you by the, by the shirt collar and pull you back into the straight way. He's going to allow you to go. And when you leave the center of God's will and God's purpose for your life, it can feel as if God is opposed to you or hostile towards you. But all along, you know, the book of Revelation talks about the wrath of God. I mean, you got to know this. The purpose of the wrath of God is never punitive. It's never, ha ha, you should have stayed in the way. The wrath of God lets you go and gives you over to your own devices and your own choices so you'll get to this place of brokenness and want to come back. That's the wrath of God. If you'll notice that in that section in the book of Revelation where the, the bowls of God's wrath are being poured out, says it twice in that section and they still did not repent of their wicked ways they still did not turn back yeah like, it's your fault just like just like this guy right it's your fault that you let this happen yeah questions All right, verse twenty-eight, which makes the connection back to the uh, the psalm that uh, we prayed at the beginning of our of our time together. Um, I think it's my favorite psalm um, because that's when it moves me to be my best. It's when I'm still and centered and focused in God's purpose. I think it's also because it's really short. It's easy to memorize too, right? Uh, but Humility, humility is really not a value of our overall culture. There is an interesting West Texas uh, dynamic to humility. Would y'all agree with that? That West Texans seem to have a sense of humility to them uh, that maybe other people in other parts on the coast do not. Uh, I think that just more rule, uh, a country type people that's uh, certainly where I grew up and probably, anybody else anybody in the room grow up in the big city? None of us did? See. Say that again? Mine's <laughs> big. is not big. <laughs> I, I know that. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Heck, Lubbock is, Lubbock's not big. So uh, certainly whenever I was going to college there, Lubbock was not big. It may feel a little bit bigger now, but probably not. So probably something around a million people. Yeah. Yeah, right? Lubbock felt big. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Nonetheless, I I feel like some of our... uh, Because the lack of humility oftentimes manifests itself in loudness and of a willingness to go toe-to-toe with other people and tell them how you feel about things. West Texans kind of how we tend not all the time but how we tend is we're just kind of more quiet and you know polite except for kurt uh but you know what i mean uh quiet and and more reserved until something that we really are passionate about uh you know like i'm still just like huh did all that really happen with the with the uh the uh School bond election of a couple of years ago, you know that was before covid even and i 'm like well whatever side of the of the election that you stood on i 'm perfectly fine with that, but it 's all of a sudden how people were acting i mean my goodness i didn 't make any comment about it. My wife made one little comment about it, and it was not it was very benign, and we lost church members over it. It's like, what is happening? I couldn't believe it. And I think that goes back to how when these things, when our passions get stirred, um, that, that humility kind of goes out the door. But one of the things that I want us to be clear on is that, uh, whether there's this West Texas value of humility, not there's this reality of biblical humility that is absolutely essential to our life with God. If we do not develop a true sense of humility, that man, we're going to miss out on so much of what God has for us. And one of the, my favorite ways uh, to to uh, to kind of get my heart and my mind around what humility actually is. It is actually one of Jesus' beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, whenever he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meekness, (laughs) I guarantee you, Kenny, in Hermley, Texas, meekness is not a value. Is that true? What do you think? Come on. and half of didn't, didn't have any part of it. There's wow. There. Yeah. But I would say that a lot of people that grew up in Parker City do so have, a, have a little bit more patience than, than Interesting. small Interesting. That's a good perspective. Yeah. They don't want them. Yeah. They space not want them. Yeah. Yeah. Small men. Let me ask you in another way. So you're right. They're going to be Let me ask you in another way. When you're at the, at the roping, and you're roping your cattle, you're at the rodeo, is meekness a value of the rodeo? Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Because we, we associate meekness with reservation, with being like milk toast, or something like that. That is not biblical meekness. It's actually the exact opposite. Meekness is moving yourself up onto the edge of your seat and saying, God, lead me. That is meekness. And so there probably is more meekness at the rodeo than you think, right? But it's like this. this, And that is the same thing with humility. Um, A lack of humility, the biblical word is haughty eyes. That's the thing that gets contrasted with humility or being wise in your own eyes. Being wise in your own eyes basically is an idiom that says, whenever I see the world, I know what is best for me. Humility, meekness, says whenever I look at the world, God, how do you want us to walk through this together? For the sake of others. That is humility. Haughty eyes is primarily oriented towards us. Humility, meekness, being teachable. That's really the best way to describe meekness. Being teachable is, God, we are in this together for the sake of the world. For the sake of others. What are your thoughts on that? You have on first start. One of the questions you asked we have three worlds in heaven. Yeah. sadness that we chose the wrong, mm. the world, chose the wrong yeah that's right the tears are being wiped away for sure so that goes back to my hope uh, there are other biblical uh, it, it, this is at the end of First uh, Corinthians 13 uh, now we see is in is a glass darkly but then we will see face to face. So it is hopeful that whatever it, whatever it is, whatever whatever right now our reality right now, there's something that we're not seeing fully. That when Jesus returns or we go to heaven, that we will see then fully. First Corinthians 13, and those choices will be easier to make. That's the hope. So there'll be some people that will say no free will in heaven. I just can't imagine it changing. That's my my personal opinion. There's fallen angels, so there's got to be free choice. There you go. Fallen angels free choice. That's a good point. Yeah. So, remember, so it's talking about here, uh you save the humble so, it's like the, the focus is on God doing the work of lifting him up. Doing the work of salvation. Doing the work, remember the, the, those, wor- those words, whenever you see saved, uh, it's not just saved to go to heaven, but it is, uh, you're saved. You save the humble, you, you make them whole, you keep them safe. Um, you save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. And so that's how, when back, going back to our discussion earlier, God will let people go outside of the stream if they want to go, but God he, his desire is for them to stay in the stream and to come back. right? And so that is the, the act of them being brought low is to bring them back. of. <laughs> Mm. How, how, how many how many plagues were there, Kenny? No, ten. Ten plagues. Do you know what plague that God starts hardening Pharaoh's heart? This is fun. Six. Halfway through, it's like. So, <laughs> so, and so that's the, you know, people get really anxious about this, about God hardening people's hearts. Why would God do that? He's so mean. Saul, yeah. He, I mean, remember what Samuel uh, said, to, uh, said to Saul? But you were small in your own eyes. God was ready to give you the kingdom, but you were small in your own eyes. It's like God was giving him all of this affirmation that he could do the job. He didn't trust it. And so going back to the Pharaoh conversation, uh, and so when people say, well, God's so mean that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, shouldn't he have done something different? Well, let me ask the question. When was Pharaoh's heart ever soft towards God. Never was. Whenever he was first introduced uh, by Moses, whenever God was introduced to Pharaoh by Moses, remember what Pharaoh's response was? Who is this God? Who is he? Not tell me about him or anything like that. It's like, You're going to pay for it. basically. Pharaoh said, "You're going to pay, and your people are going to pay for you introducing me to your God." And then things got harder, you know, bricks without straw and all that stuff. So, so again, what was number six that you? What was what was the plague? I can't remember. All, all I remember is is that is when then God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and that's very. All five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Yes, absolutely. A a New Testament reference to this, if you'll flip over to uh, Romans chapter one, I think it's very helpful. We gotta we gotta shut her down after after this. Uh, all right. Let me just start reading in verse uh eighteen. The wrath of God so Kind of use that Kenny as code for God hardening our hearts. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless, godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness or moving outside of the stream. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God is God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So in short, what Paul is saying is the the, the created order is so powerful and it is so clear that God is at work in his creation that you don't have any excuse not trusting in this reality that God made the world. Let's go on. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. So think of Pharaoh. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for their degrading of their bodies with one another They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So verse 24 is the key verse. Therefore God gave them over. You could as easily say, Therefore God hardened their hearts. It's the same thing if that we are going to persist in our belief that it is not the supreme God of the universe that made the world and gave it its order and gave it its purpose, God's going to let us go. Just like David, when he's on the the roof of his house and he's looking down at Bathsheba. He's got choices to make. Do you think that the Spirit of God was speaking to David when he was looking at Bathsheba? absolutely and it's his choice to allow that spirit to let's go into the house or to do what he did so did God harden David's heart no David hardened his own heart God hardening his heart is God saying okay go Maybe that helps, Kenny. All right. Any questions for the good of the group? Well, I would invite you to ponder this week uh, your humility quotient relative to uh, the things that are happening in your life. Um, Are you insisting on your own way? Or are you yielding to God and inviting God? God, this is what's going on. How can you and I walk in this together for the sake of others? That's your challenge. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the morning, for your word, and this beautiful invitation that you have for us to walk in humility with you. Wow. When we become prideful and arrogant, God, we give you permission to reveal that to us quickly so we can correct course and make better choices. Where we pray for Pastor Kurt this morning and Lisa and Jason, their whole family, as Kurt prepares for surgery, we pray for great success, for healing for comfort, and for great, great uh, recovery on the other side. We just commend him to your love and care. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. 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 Well, have a great day.